0: Lima, Delta, Echo. This is In Between Stations radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA.
1: This is in between stations radio on 3731 kilohertz in the 80 meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America. This is in between stations radio on 3731 kilohertz in the 80 meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America. Good evening
2: or good morning depending on what side of the earth you're on this is the second part of our broadcast Uh, after I talk a bit here I'll go back we'll go Ryan murky we'll go back into the uh, right murky
0: yeah
2: (laughs) we'll go back into the live uh, the other the second part of uh, death dying and beautiful release uh, I just want to uh, bring up some things here. I think they're kind of important. I think especially uh, in modern times uh, for, at least for, for some people, especially religious people, we get really asphyxiated. Is that the right word? <laughs> we get really stuck on in this human world. And I think that's one of the things that death does, is it takes apart a lot of that. And, uh, and one of the reasons I'm so close to indigenous people is I spend a lot of time there. It's, it's a second home of mine. In fact, I wouldn't even mind it being my main home. I have a lot of family members and, and people I love, and especially uh, at Hopi and at SUNY. Uh, I have a lot of Diné Navajo friends. I grew up with Navajos. Uh, I, I, I love Diné. It has its own way. It has its own view. Each of these tribes have survived over long periods of time, thousands of years, because of this deep cultural knowledge they have. They have different names for it. You learn a lot of things in thousands of years. One of the things our, our American history does is we, we like to erase ancient history and, and redo it so it fits where we live in our country, in our culture. People change their names when they came here, change their religious affiliations, or as was the case, that we forget <laughs> the pilgrims were actually kicked out of England. So uh, the initial pilgrims were called Separatists, and Separatists wanted to break away from the Church of England. And I think King James and his son Charles the First, they were both the first, I think, frowned on the <laughs> on the so-called pilgrims. I think in 1630, was that when the Puritans came? That's a little bit different, because... Puritans didn't want to break away from the Church of England; they wanted to reform it. Anyway, there's the particulars in there. So, you, so on one side, you could say they got kicked out of England. <laughs> on the other, they were they fled for you know religious freedom uh, because of their very extremist views. And I'm a direct descendant of uh, two people on the Mayflower. Part of me is indigenous, and native, great grandmother. And part of me goes directly back to the Mayflower, as does a lot of people in the United States. John Alden and his lovely wife, Priscilla Mullins, are my great-great-grandparents. Two very interesting people on the Mayflower, by the way. Kind of a cool romance there. Anyway, moving out of that, having some coffee, setting it on my old copy of Death Comes for the Archbishop. An incredible book on Southwestern history from the uh, outsider perspective, but it has a, a great history that ties in the Spanish, uh, the Mexican, uh, and uh, uh, the the, the um, real Grand Pueblos. Uh, the older history we're not too acquainted with. Uh, uh, amazing book, if you get a chance to read it. Uh, it's, it's just beautiful. I, I just noticed that title, Death Comes... The Archb- archbishop—it's kind of an underlying thing in the in, in the in the book—a a, a real masterpiece. Anyway, I'm getting off track as usual, right, Murky?
0: <laughs> no surprise there. As usual, you're getting ready to run the train of thought off the rails of the main tracks of focus in the program.
2: Oh, shut up! <laughs> what would I do without Murky? Yeah, um, right. It's um, kind of all I have left of my teva now. <laughs> uh, is is murky in our memories of tiba i i think spending a lot of time in wilderness and soloing a lot i'm and not being with humans i mean just being and by myself i've made a lot wild animals my friends What i mean by friends is from a distance a respectable distance i go i don't go up and pet wild animals and i've talked about this before there's A lot of protocols that you have when you approach even animals that know you, you have to be careful. And just like there's protocols when Russians and Americans and different countries meet, same with animals. Different language, a different experience, and often the human is viewed as a monster or a destructive force. And either it's flight or attack. And so you have to be really careful. Uh, Eye contact, Body language are extremely important, especially with wild canines, wolves and coyotes in particular. Uh, so I've become close to animals and I've got to see and this goes along with my dogs, especially my dog gunner, and i'm going to talk about it's going to be kind of hard for me I'm going to talk about uh, my first dog Aussie, who was this incredible Australian shepherd border collie mix. Uh, Wow, what an amazing dog. I'm going to talk about her in a minute because one of my most amazing life after death experiences that I haven't really mentioned is with my dog where I actually seen the other world, experienced it in this profound way that goes more along with kind of the Christian format. But my experience with animals is their consciousness is amazing and I've connected with that and this is why I love indigenous culture this is why I'm probably more close to that culture than any other. Uh, it's, it's the one that I usually choose to think, think about, especially Hopi. Um, Hopi is profound and immensely deep. And its secrets cannot be cracked. I'm sorry, people talk about all the time cracking the codes. <laughs> uh-uh. Because the experience in the deeper realms of that culture is non-verbal. It's highly spiritual. It's highly abstract. It's like these worlds of ayahuasca. It's like these alternate realities. Hopi is well versed in traveling through these systems. And uh, they're all part of the same thing. Hopis don't divide the stuff up to life, death. Uh, it's, it's all a part of this fantastic, beautiful circle uh, that's involved in the life process of all living things, and in particular, animals. And uh, tribes in South America, Central America, Mexico. When you when you look at these uh, pictorial codices that I've talked about, these before Columbus came, these are beautiful. And I'll talk more about this illustrated uh, help text uh, with the two calendar system that was in the in, in that part of Mexico with the Mexica and largely Mexica before Aztec Aztec came together. Teotilacan. uh you have these amazing. Uh, I call them fourth dimensional, because they travel through time. It's an art that works through the uh, different phases of reality. And it, it involves a hallucinogenic experience, the spiritual experience. You know, there's, again, we're dividing up things. If you, you, know, you talk to a Hopi or a good Navajo about the hallucinogenic experience, they may talk to you a little bit about the American native church, uh, the peyote religion. But really, um, <laughs> when you're with these medicine people, there's no hallucinogenic, it's the other world, it's, it's, it's the real, it's the deeper reality that's underneath everything. It's learning how to navigate through that, learning the life and death processes that go underneath what us modern see as the 9 to 5 reality. Animals are extremely important part of that. Animals are creators. Those are, those are your first parents. Plants are the same. It's hard for us to understand this from a Christian background because we so emphasize the human. You know, man's made a little lower than the angels. The uh, Bardot total, uh, which actually erases the body, pulls you into even more of an abstraction to this progressing towards nirvana and this greater light. And I think that even with all these levels of heaven in the Buddhist tradition and hell, I think it's there's a part that's so beyond us in this state of mind in this body that we can't. Describe it. We can't understand it because our minds are just so locked in this modern world. And I, you know, I talked about this it. ayahuasca in the religious formats and the tribal formats that are thousands of years old. It attacks the modern ego and rips it apart, and merges you into the life process of animals and plants. And I've had some of the most amazing spiritual experiences. You know, I used to be pretty skeptical about pl- plants. I grew up on a farm. I mean, I know they're alive and all that stuff. Uh, Heliotropism—the plant turns to the sun. There's consciousness there, but I'd not until I started going. And that, that's the thing, I, and I keep reiterating: yes, you might be part Cherokee or have a uh, an Indian princess in your family. <laughs> okay, but what that? What that? really uh, avoids is when you grow up on a tribe, when you grow up on the reservation, it's a culture, it's an experience, it's a language. You can't genetically just... Yes, you have Native American connections, but it's not the same. When you grow up in a culture, when you grow up with these rituals and these dances and these songs and this way of thinking, it's an entire life. And so to say that you're... uh, that the Cherokee princes or the uh, you know the ancient Pawnee uh, chief is in your channel okay great <laughs> but it's not you weren't you're not in the tribe you're not in the culture you're not experiencing that you know that's trying to say that you're a Mormon and living outside of the religion and especially outside of the culture I grew up in it's a whole way of life and thinking you can't jump into that religion. They even have a name for people called converts that didn't really grow up in the culture because there's this whole process. And so when you try to like, when you talk about things like the temple ceremony, things that are extremely sacred, and I refuse to talk about some things because they're so sacred in, in, in indigenous religions, uh, in Buddhism, in Zen, and Mormonism, a, a culture I grew up in that's part of my family. I wouldn't be alive if not for that. I just want... I'm not going to talk about it because it's sacred. It's non-verbal.
0: Hey, I think we're steering off course a bit here.
2: Oh, I'm getting off... Yes, yes. Murky's reminding me. Getting back to uh, to animals. But I think we overemphasize in modern culture our connection to uh, to humans. Our philosophy, the whole uh, Western philosophy. You know, and I think we avoid the Greek part because Greeks really... I, I mean, largely with Greek, your your deities are in human form. Also, they're merged with animal forms, like uh, Pan. Uh, there's a blending of animal and 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 uh, humanism. So you see that in, in in Greek mythology a lot, in Roman mythology a lot, uh, and the animals with the with the principal deity. So yeah, that that's there. But as we get into this. Into things uh, you know, where science starts to come up, and other things uh, you know, in the Renaissance and, and during Humanism, uh, animals are kind of dropped out of the picture. Animals, wolves, are all—they're all, they're, they're kind of evil. They're kind of like—they're kind of used to show uh, the bestiality, the animal instinct. There's something wrong with that, and I think this is used largely against the indigenous format. Because these 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 religions would come in, and uh, these tribes, you know, like we, we still do it. We take our missionary work and things like that, and Christianity, and, and we feel the need to convert the 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 savage, the the uh, the tribal person uh, against their polytheism and and things like that. Uh, but I think when you look, there's a cuckoo clock. I think when you look at uh, kind of where it started started at least for me, uh, putting aside uh, some of the some of the Christian beliefs, uh, some of the beliefs in Judaism, uh, Islam. Uh, I'm not sure where this comes from, but she emerged out of the tribal situation. Animals are sort of a lo- low on the totem pole. This is not the case in the tribal formats, not generally, uh, especially with Native Americans. But I think as you look closer and you start to see a science coming up in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, um, I think one of the first people to really take this issue of animals and, and sort of bring them down a notch uh, was Descartes, the famous philosopher that says, I think therefore I am. C- and c- kind of bear with me here because I, I know this program is, is moving towards death, the land of the dead, uh, potentials of heaven, uh, uh, what happens to us when we die. And I'm trying to lay out sort of a process here with animals in particular. Uh, and um, so this is leading somewhere. This isn't just going off the deep end here. I just want to give you a little bit of a, of a history, you know, and to, to, to take you into where this is, this is going. and am going to be towards uh, the redemption of the animal soul. The animal having something more than just stupidity and wildness, you know. And often the animals compared to the primitive savage, the so-called savage, the tribal person. We have to convert the wickedness of this. This is something you see in a lot of Spanish manuscripts, the conquistadores. And if you go and read this stuff, you really see how they they had this task to convert the the savage, to civilize, you know, the the Tarzan thing. You're seen the legend of Greystoke. That's amazing. We're going to we're going to domesticate the wild man. <laughs> okay, I don't think wild's that bad. And you start looking at the origin of the word, it actually connects to the sacredness of animals, it connects to the hallucinogenic experience. Uh, it's, it's it's interesting what, what what we do sometimes with these things, uh, as as one religion leaves and another one comes in. So, briefly back to Ren Descartes, you know, 1500s Western philosopher, very important. Uh, The dual nature of man, mind and body. We experience things in our mind, we experience them in our body. And And there's two different things going on there. And trying to Sort of resolve that whole thing. So, looking at Ren Descartes again, I think this is kind of where it all starts. At least, was uh, with with, uh, with us getting this idea beyond the the religious part uh, and the book of bestiality and stuff like that that was in England. You know, these first illustrations, these early books of this the beast, the beast. You know, the almost satanic, just and and, and the and, and the and the crazed savage. So Ren, so. Ren Descartes, early scientist, an amazing person. I don't know if I fully agree with everything he came up with, but he did come up with the fundamental foundations of philosophy uh, for modern thinking. He'd seen animals as solace, just these sort of like organic automations, robots. And they had these little machines even back in the 1500s that everyone was obsessed with. There's a really good book. What's the movie about that? Where the boy goes up in the clock tower, and there's a robot up there. Um, Hugo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, automations were a big deal back in the, you know, back in the 1500s, 1600s. They were they, they were around. And so Descartes grew up, and I think his his actually his daughter died, and uh, so he he started this whole you know this whole thing where animals are outsiders, plants are outsiders, that man is is the ultimate creation. I don't agree. Sorry, my experience hasn't. I think humans are amazing. I think humans are incredibly deceived. I think they're incredibly delayed by the, their complex thoughts. I am. We read so much, we think so much, we get in these loops and that's the whole thing about death and, uh, you know, in the Bardo Total is death erases that in the Egyptian Book of the Dead which is more indigenous, more Native American-like, the, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. One of the big differences between uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead um, the Bardo Total and The Egyptian Book of the Dead is in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. You are preserving the body. Uh, In the Tibetan Book of the Dead, so-called Book of the Dead, um, you're not. The body's there's no emphasis on the body. You're losing the body. You're moving on from that body to another, to another body, to another state, or maybe to Nirvana. But there's not an emphasis put on the the previous world on the body. I mean, it's a sticking point. But in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is very indigenous in this format, you know, almost Native American, uh, you're getting it all. You're getting the clouds, you're getting, you're getting the fish, you're getting the, the animals, and, 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 and the body. The body is sacred. And You're going to reconstitute your older body, you know, it's the mummified, and uh, you're going to have this sort of resurrection sequence that takes you into this, this paradise, the land of reeds. You're preserving the body. You're going into the land of reach, which has animals and rivers and plants, and and, and you're actually working. You know, this is very native, especially Hopi. The other world, you're going. it's, It's there. You're working. You're doing ceremonies. The same things here. It's just different. Maybe more focused. Maybe a little more spiritual. But it's there. And so the Egyptian Book of the Dead puts this very sacred baseline on the body, on preserving the body. I think the Egyptians knew the body wasn't going to last forever. It was just a sacred regard towards it and it was part of the process that helps you through this immense uh, deception, this immense confusion when you lose your body. Uh, and, that, and that's where the Tibetan Book of the Dead and uh, the, the Egyptian Book of the Dead are really alike. is They have this whole sacred text that guides you through this immense journey you have to take into the land of the dead through all these passageways through all these uh you know you get each each god each manifest of consciousness interviews you and asks you what did you do do you know the password can you you know there's all these things that keep you focused because when you're dead there's a lot of problems opening of the mouth you have to reconstitute the organs and you have to relearn everything like you're a child after you die I mean, when you, if you take back on your body, there's this, it's a relearning process uh, that allows you eventually, after the judgment, if you pass the judgment, which is an Egyptian book of the dead, uh, going forth into the light of day. Notice that, going forth into the light of day, and in the in the, uh, the bardo total, the great light that you progress towards. Uh, this, this beautiful light. It's unexplainable. And so these, these are books are guides to help you through that process. So one looks at, the, the, you take your body with you, uh, and it's, in a way it's kind of a resurrected body. It's reconstituted totally through this, I don't like that word magic, through the sacred uh, context of reconstituting your body. Each organ in, in the heart's extremely important. You have a new body, and you're, and you're going into a new world, into, into heaven. Land of the Reeds and, o- and Osiris, a Christ-like figure that is resurrected, takes you through the process of dying through the through the Duat, and I I think there's a lot of similarities uh, if you read these things, and especially with these uh, pre-Columbian uh, pictorial uh, codices, uh, you it's this other realm that you're in. It's this. It's it's so different than what you're used to. And, and, and like I said in the Iowa, in the deep ayahuasca sessions with some of us, you go through the death process because your your ego, the nine to five reality, is totally dissolved. Talked about that in Zen as well. This falling back into the great emptiness, which is again a word for we. You can't explain it. You have to experience it. Animals and plants, even rocks, are all living. They're all. Um, they have spirits, souls. They have an inner force beyond the body. And with na- indigenous and Native American people, that's just, you know, that's just, that's just part of the, the whole complex of the Creator. The whole beautiful manifestation of life. I was just out in, the, in this vast snowfield at Sunset Crater. I and my two dogs went way out in the snowfield. There was no one. Went out two miles. I had to break the, the snow path. You know it, 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 when you have to make it, break a trail in snow, whether you have uh, skis on or snowshoes, it's rough. And when you got these two dogs with you, and there was a dog at the most, when it sounds four two feet high, even the biggest dogs, maybe three feet high, uh, you got to break the trail for them. The snow is deeper than Gunner and, and my uh, other little healer Michka is especially small, and so I had to break this trail and take my time to stomp the snow down so they could walk out with me. So we went out two miles, got in the middle of this vast snowfield surrounded by these incredibly beautiful mountains and ancient volcanoes, sunset craters, not that ancient, less than a thousand years ago eruption. And the sun's setting, so it's an unusually beautiful beautiful. We sat in the snowfield miles from anyone, you can't hear anybody, and you can hear what you can hear is the breath of the planet. Uh, you can hear the wind blowing in the tops of these pines. It's the it's the tranquility and peace that you feel in that moment with my dogs. They felt it too. You know, Gunner enjoys this stuff. He knows and we're in wilderness. Leachka <laughs> knows. It's, it, they're getting out of it the same things that I am. And we're, we're relying on each other. And that's what I'm saying is uh, I think when we kill things, we hunt things, uh, that we lose we we want to do that I mean I was in a war when you dehumanize the enemy so you can kill them so you can murder them and with indigenous people the hunt is a very sacred process and where you have to go through this cleansing ritual before and after and ask permission of that the deity to ask permission to hunt that animal and to give the reasons why you need to hunt that animal do you need it for food do you need it for clothing and if you do, what are you going to give in return for taking that animal's life? In, in, in the very traditional aspects, especially in the Southwest, there's this whole unspoken ritual that goes with hunting a deer. And uh, there's both the before and after. And it's, 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 it's a cleansing process. Also, when you come home from a war with Danae, there's cuckoo clock. <laughs> Good old cuckoo clock, right, Murky? I'm going yes. on
0: but it's okay to lose your focus as long as it's about animals
2: Who's I'm not losing my focus I'm okay alright I'll get back to my my, my my point there yeah so I'm going to leave the three dots at the end of that last thought <laughs> I, wa- I, I want to talk about this amazing dream I had it's going to be kind of tough these dreams and life and death experiences are hard to do in a live format on a radio station <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Yeah, and I've had a struggle this whole time um, dealing with thinking about death and my experiences with death. Since the suicide of my father, um, I've been very acquainted with the the very real processes of death. I was 10 when my father died. Announced to I and my sister, she was 8, that my mother announced to us that my father was dead. Wow, what does that mean? She actually read the letter that my grandmother sent to I and my sister. My sister was always way ahead of me. She died early, I'm sad to say. She was always the spiritual one. She was always the one that could feel, th- even at eight years old, this, she had this enlightenment about her. She knew what death was. She, she kind of knew that this about this moment. And she explained it to me. I was 10, she was eight. Here's an eight-year-old. I can go back and think about what she told me, and it's incredibly mature. mature. And I'm thinking there's got to be other lifetimes because how could she have known all this? But I don't know. Have some more coffee here, and then I'll start this. So, I guess I'd never really got the the canine thing. This is before I got to know coyotes and wolves very well. Uh, I, I, You know, dogs are just, you know, when I grew up, the dog never came come in the house. There's a few farmers that had dogs in the back of their truck. There's a few farmers that like their dogs, especially if they're herding dogs, like my dog Gunner now is. But the dog stayed outside. The dog didn't come in the house. The dog always is in the back of the bed of the pickup. People still do this. Now the dog, is, you know, gets the best seat in the house. Gets the furnace, gets the good diets, gets the the vet, the doctor, gets the surgeries. You know, the dog's part of the family. That's nothing new. That's been going on, especially with indigenous people, for thousands of years. The dog was always a principal part of, of the family, and when you look at these codices in Mexico, these ancient codices, uh, Xolote, the twin of uh, um, Quetzalcoatl, is, is a creator, is, is a psychopomp, is the person that takes you through uh, this whole process of ritual and alternate realities. Sholot's always there, especially uh, in the Kodasa, uh, Borga. Uh, did I say that right? This, uh, Sholot is the principal deity that takes you through this immense journey into the other worlds, the, into the land of death. A lot of cultures have the dog or the wolf. As a, you know, Like Anubis in Egypt is not a dog, he's a wolf. He's a golden jackal. An Egyptian wolf, uh, some people think maybe even the African wolf. So it's not a domesticated dog here. It's just this, it hangs around cemeteries, you know. And it's, it's a little bit like the coyote, you know, but, but more geared towards the wolves we have here. There's an Egyptian wolf. And the same uh, in these pictorial, uh, ancient pictorial manuscripts in Mexico. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the Mexican wolf. When you study it, you start, oh, this isn't a dog. This is the Mexican wolf, which is an animal i'm really close to in fact the wolf that was killed almost oh wow it's been a year and a month since anubis a a, a young mexican wolf was was shot and killed murdered a wolf that i followed and was close to interesting his name was anubis um and i dreamed about him i was always i kind of knew where he was always at until the very end process we just sort of communicate communicate with each other says what wild canines and even your domestic dogs do so well is they seem to connect int- intuitively through dreams, uh, through sense of things. Uh, and this is what happens with indigenous people is the creator may come to you in the form of an animal. Coyote is a principle of creating a creator in, in indigenous or uh, Dené history, uh, sort of a trickster figure. All, all gods. Deities are tricksters to some degree, but especially Coyote because he's so brilliant. Coyote is not, Coyote's a wolf, the smart wolf, the guardian wolf. Uh, you know, tribes don't divide up things. <laughs> There's just Coyote's Coyote. He's a wolf. He's a smart wolf. He's a, he's a spiritual wolf. He's a lot like humans in terms of his intelligence. But in in Viking culture, in Celtic culture, in these Norwegian cultures, in Siberia, in these ancient indigenous cultures up there. The dog is very important and in in my years of archaeology, the dog is often found in these incredible burials. There's pottery and there's jewelry and the dog is is like immensely important. They they went to a lot of sacrifice to bury this dog in a very special way. Uh, And you see dogs at at, at the entrance and when you get in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, that's one of the deities, Anubis that guards these these pathways these entrances as you descend into the duwad, into the underworld. And when you go to China and places, these big, huge dogs are guardians. In Celtic history, dogs are guardians. Sometimes very dark or very light. They're, they seem to have a sense about things that goes beyond us. And that's why when you, get, when you have a dog, you're with wolves and coyotes, you get incredibly attached to them. Not just physically, but in the world of dreams. I've lost track <laughs> of how many times I've dreamed or been helped out by a wolf or a coyote. It's just, I can't even explain it to you. It goes beyond uh, logic. And you know, we a lot of times, the wolf or coyote's a lot more advanced than you are. Especially in terms of, of serious... Situations, accidents, and uh, ravens are the same way too. Ravens are are an intensely intelligent and shamanistic animal that moves between the worlds of the living and the dead. Eagles. Wow, there's another amazing creature. And that's it's cool when you go to Hopi. You get these clans because these clans, you know, the, the the head of the clan, they have a, they have a, a word at Hopi. Uh, which I don't like to mention. Hopi words are very sacred, so there's no reason to but they have a word for the deity of your clan. Uh, you, you you pray to that, you say thank you to that, you you give it food, you, you acknowledge the, the the talents of that animal, the salmon, these northwestern tribes, these great ceremonies they have in these in these lodges, the potlatch, the giving away of everything that's important to you, to, to people, that you're Celebrated Your wealth is celebrated by how much you give to others. Animals are so important. If you want to see some amazing, amazing dances, look at some of these Northwestern dances with the raven, <clears throat> with, the, with the deer, the salmon, the killer whale. Absolutely amazing. It's the same with, with these sacred beings, the kachinas that the, the Pueblo people have. Oh, the ye'i that the the Diné, the Navajo have, these sacred beings. Um, Yeah, a lot of times they're animals. Animals have different ways, have different success strategies. They have a humility that humans don't have. They have a rawness that humans have lost being modernized. So the animal comes to you with messages. You know, a lot of white people I know don't dream of animals. I think my dreams are so full of animals, lost track. Often that's how, uh, if I get a warning when I'm out in wilderness for a long time and I'm away from civilization and people, the animal will guide me on the path I need to go on. I'll, get, I'll have a dream. it would be following a coyote or a wolf or a raven. And these dreams, and they're amazing beings. So um, Dave,
0: we're lagging a I bit behind. I need to get
2: on with my... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Where was I, Murky? The dream. All right. A uh, dream of my beloved dog, uh, Aussie. So Aussie had a, it was a special dog that made me learn things the hard way. I have spoke about my experiences with working for the government when they killed hundreds of coyotes. And one coyote in particular that was killed in a very gruesome way. I connected with her at the moment of death. She totally changed my life. I'll never, ever be the same. I had this list of of people you met in your life, and you know, the ten most important people you met in your life, I'd say the top five are animals for me. Not, not the top five. They're, I don't like to make categories top one, but they're in there, and the in most important influences in my life, especially wild animals. One of those was a female coyote. And at the moment of death, our eyes met, and I've never been the same since then. And, um, she led me on this journey. This is what these, these canine animals do. They take you on the journey. So, Aussie awakened me to the plight of, of animals. She, her, the thing about a good dog, a wolf or a coyote is they're devoted to the core to you. They'll fight to the death for their, for their pack. There's not probably any other animal in the entire, maybe elephants that are so dedicated to the pack. It's to the death. And when you have a dog, if that dog is intelligent and you're close to it, you, you know that. That dog will follow you to hell, literally. Aussie was like that. So when I, when I and my former wife uh, had her divorce and we separated, uh, we had this issue back and forth with our dogs, because our dogs were really, my former wife loved, if you want to know something that takes care, if you're an animal, go to, go to my former wife, Andrea. You will be well taken care of. She doesn't distinguish between humans and animals. They're the same thing. She's, she's Buddhist in her orientations, too. But the animal's in good hands if they're with my former wife. <laughs> so, when we separated and I moved across town, uh, you know, I, I, I would go occasionally and get Aussie. Well, we had two dogs. One was Henry and one was Aussie. Aussie was an unusually intelligent dog that I was instrumental in rescuing from uh, death. They were going to put her, you know, to sleep. And I got her, I think, right on the day, or, or during the time, I was able to rescue her from being uh, exterminated. And as these intelligent dogs like healers and border collies and Australian shepherds do, they fight back. And Ossie knew she was going to die, and she bit the guy that was going to take her to the death house. <laughs> And and that's I and my former wife rescued Aussie and brought her. And just the most beautiful. I mean, she looked more border collie, except she was extremely muscular and big, like Gunner. Uh, I never she never lost a dog fight, by the way. The dog was if she wasn't uh, stronger, she was smarter. Uh, and that's that was her thing. But we rescued her, this beautiful border collie. And you know, I always kind of had because she was so independent she knew about who she was and you know like and sometimes I would I would reach out and whack a dog you know that's how I grew up you know my stepfather everybody he got a spanking so if my dog did something I didn't like I would reach out or slap them which I I I don't I haven't done that in years well when I got Aussie she'd bite me (laughs) not hard she'd say don't touch me if you if you think you're gonna hit me or, or hurt me I'm gonna you know I'm gonna bite you back I don't, I don't want you hurting me i trust you and you trust me but realize that um, if you cross the line i'm going to let you know so she was that way she's extremely intelligent uh, she didn't like another dog or a person she let you know and you know these herding dogs are bred to be very focused on the on the owner on the herdsman and to be very loyal in particular to that individual. And so they have been bred over generations to be extremely loyal to one person or two people. So it was hard uh, for Aussie when, when I and my wife divorced. And, uh, you know, I, I'd go over to the other side of town and bring her here to my house, and she would stay, and she got to know the pathway. This is how smart these dogs are. It's about five, four or five miles to the other side of town where my f- former wife moved to. And I stayed on the same side of town here in Flagstaff that um, we originally lived in. So one night I go to get, you know, I I, I dropped Aussie off at the other house, on the other side of town, my border collie, and, and and she didn't like this. She didn't like me leaving her. You know, I'm in her pack. She wants to know where I'm at. She, she she's always worrying about me. I found this out later. Learned this about the loyalty of these animals especially coyotes and wolves are like this if you want to see a hero manifested you live with coyotes and wolves my god all of them are so heroic it's 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 unbelievable so for aussie she wanted to know where i was at she wanted to be with me i mean she's bred and and connected to me in a very intense way and i would run with aussie she had a bordetella her lungs had been destroyed by serious uh, uh, cardiovascular disease. Uh, she could run for maybe an eighth of a mile, and then she could get out of breath. But hey, this is a Border Collie, this is a herding dog, a superior breed, and she would run literally until she passed out, until she couldn't run anymore. And I had to stop running with her because it I was going to kill her. She just would insist on being with me. Very, You know, gunners like that my stumpy tail healer. You know, Aussie was an amazing creature. She was there to defend me. You know, one of the problems in Flagstaff is we have a lot of dogs, and a lot of people just let their dogs run off leash. I, I, I'm not, I used to do that, but serious things can happen. People can get bit. Uh, there's encounters with coyotes and bears. Uh, when you're living in a wilderness area or a forest, you should not let your dogs run off leash. And I've been bitten and hurt several times by dogs that do that. And if you come up against Gunner, and especially my former dog, Aussie, you're in for a fight. If you're off the leash, and you know my dogs are always on the leash, because I've learned from sad experience, you're in for a fight. And boy, Aussie was amazing fighting (laughs) dog, even with bulldogs. She just was so smart and so intelligent and so intense that I never, and I got attacked at least three or four times with Aussie, and I, that many times with Gunner, and uh, no dog ever got the best of Aussie. She was just so fierce and so intelligent. She was my guardian. So when we, when we, when I and my former wife got divorced, it was very traumatic for for Aussie in particular, because she didn't. Her loyalties were, you know, that's tough. I mean. We'd got her when well, I and my wife were married, and that was her—that's her pack. And suddenly the packs divided. What does she do, Dave? So I—we're had
0: we're starting to get to the time limit know, again.
2: Don't worry, my, <laughs> oh, my dear. Thank you. Um, so I, I dropped her off late one night, and I went uh, back across town through—you know—through through the famous Highway 66 that runs through Flagstaff. Got home and. Got inside. It was night, late. Sit down, and then I get my phone rings. My cell phone, old cell phone, before these smartphones. And uh, oh no, a, 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 a bell went off, and it was a text. And my former wife said, um, ossie has gone. She she's missing." I'm like, "What?" And um, we couldn't find her. We you know we both panning. So so started. And I think my daughter remembers this. Um, she was just little at the time. And she you want to meet a person that loves dogs and wolves and coyotes. This is uh, uh, my my daughter, Elizabeth. Uh, <laughs> it's like in uh, dreams about them. Uh, this, this girl, since she's been little, has been with, with uh, canines. So she was part of the hunt of trying to find this dog that we all loved. Aussie, the amazing black and white border collar. Australian Shepherd. I never did figure it out. She looked like a Border Collie, a beautiful Border Collie. She was like, if you ever seen pictures, I have them on my Facebook, sometimes I put them up. She was, she could have won uh, contest awards. She's kind of like Gunner was that way too. Gunner was the handsome, purebred, stumpy tail from Australia. Well, Aussie was every bit that. And so um, we went. We tried to find her. We just you know, we were really worried. As it turned out. Aussie ended up at my house. Uh, she knew where I lived. She, there, she's right there at my front door. I'm like, wow, how did, there's all that traffic, highway, you know, how did you get here? And that's you know, that's how these, and that, that was the beginning of this relationship, because you know, it's really hard to go through a divorce. It's awful. It's one of the, I, I think it's, it's similar to, to dying, except the person's not dead. They're, um, they're still there to remind you and so it's just one of the worst you know I had a a, a psychologist a a beautiful Jewish woman I was close to and she told me she was actually going through a divorce and I was going through mine that that was one of the worst things you could ever go through and her and her former husband were on good speaking terms and still close friends which I and my former wife are to this you know today but a lot of things when you get divorced you lose And, and dogs and animals are one of those things so I, it was a really lonely time, a time of heartbreak, a time of uh, severing families, you know, go different directions and not seeing each other. And just a, it's just a difficult process. And, um, and uh, this is also during a time I was really sick. Um, and uh, having post-traumatic stress disorder, flashbacks from the war I was in, uh, I was not healthy. And I just had this com- co- complete collapse. Everything that was wrong went wrong then. And I, I swear to God, during that time, uh, my dog, Ossie, was my only friend. She was there to guide me through the process. In the grieving issues, I always had her there with me. And I didn't have a lot of money then because I was kind of unstable. Uh, getting a lot of stuff back from the war I was in, uh, from you know a divorce uh, and flashbacks to my, my sister was really sick. Um, I uh, struggling with that. There was a lot of things going on. And, and um, it was just, and Aussie was sometimes all I had. And so I developed this, I could get through anything if I had my dog. This is the same way with Gunner. When I and Gunner are out in hardcore wilderness, it's me and him. We're the same beings. Uh, there's no separation. If you see me and Gunner, it's it's one being. We, and we, we, you know, I can run with him for, I used to run 15, 20 miles with him on a leash. You ever run with a dog on a leash in, in, in mountains and in deserts where there's no trails? It, but we are on such a sink that it just works perfectly. And I have to have Gunner on a leash because he knows he can outrun me. And, and before he got his injuries with his back legs, uh, he's faster than me. And he loves, not hurt them, but he loves to chase antelope. For, he can go, used to go an hour and a half <laughs> of running continuously. You know, and he did not to hurt them. He just liked to run with them and try, you know, try to herd antelope. I don't think so. <laughs> but he tried deer and elk. Um, but so, and Ossie's uh, that way. And this is all leading up to this uh, life and death, uh, this vision I had uh, of the afterworld. So, um, Aussie got cancer. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, her dog, I think, died as well. My my Bardot girlfriend. I won't mention her name. I st- we still love each other a lot, but she'd lost her dog. So we're and we our two dogs are like really important in this whole uh, romance that we had too. And um, Aussie got sick and got cancer, uh, and she suffered immensely. Uh, and I didn't have a lot of money for euthanism or to get her sedated. And so I had to go through this process where eventually she couldn't even walk. And, she, and just, I did a whole story on my Facebook that gets a lot of uh, hits that talks about this. So um, one thing about Ozzy is, she, even though she lost the use of her back leg, she would crawl to me. I'd, I, I'd, I'd put her in her little dog house we had in the you know, safety um, kennel she was sick, I'd keep her in there so she'd be okay and not get any more hurt. Cause she, you know, with cancer, it was a difficult situation. Fluids would come out of her body, and I'd t- t- take care of her, and she would find a way out of the kennel because I wouldn't lock it. And she would drag herself to the side of my bed. I'd sleep in the height of bed in the living room in those days. In the back bedroom, I didn't have a bed. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and there was Aussie. No use for her back legs. She'd drug herself. Of course, I'd have to clean <laughs> the floor and the rug, because her body fluids would come out. And it's probably, you're probably going, ooh, gross. This is an animal I love. So I mean, I'm a medic, I'm not stupid. Um, but, yeah, she would, that's awesome. She'd run until she passed out, even though she had, her lungs had been destroyed. So I eventually just moved her bed out by my bed and would sleep at night. So she'd sleep by me in my arm and hang down off the height of bed, and always stroking her her ears and her fur, because, you know, we're so connected to each other. She's an amazing animal. All the things that we went through together during that time were intense. But I knew she's going to die. And I don't want to go into her too much of this, um, but I actually recorded videos and and, uh, audio of uh, week that she got sick and she died I've never, I've, I, don't, I haven't really shared those maybe once or twice because they're so emotional for me listen, when a, when a dog dies when a wolf dies or a coyote that you know ah, excuse me um, hey Murky, let's go to a song okay, I'm, just, I'm having a really rough time here
0: sure, of course
2: okay, thank you Yeah, okay. I think I feel, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta move forward, this is a live broadcast. So I don't, you know, we played a song, but I'm still having a rough one with this, but I'm, I'm gonna move forward. So I want you to, to, to hear the story. Uh, but when a canine dies that you're close to, I don't know about cats, I've had a few, but people have different orientations. Um, it's as bad as a, a friend and the family dying fellow soldier dying in fact it might be worse because you're so fused with that animal especially if you spend a lot of time in wilderness and running uh, in survival mode you and that animal are, are like one this is, goes back to these burials we have here with the um, ancestral Pueblo I had a friend at the museum she that was her specialty was uh, ancestral Pueblo dogs they're in a lot of burials and they're buried in very beautiful ways so um, I understand that so, uh, so I and Ossie take these beautiful walks in the snows. It's so that winter we had a really bad winter. I think it was 2010, one of the worst winters wind-wise, and we got below 25 below zero that winter. I and Aussie, we would take these 2 a.m. walks in blizzards because she loved the snow, and we would walk as much as you know she could. Uh, but she looked forward to it, and we would we'd go through these walks that last 20 or 30 minutes. And, you know, we'd sit, walk, sit, because she couldn't walk too far, and, and just have these, you know, there's Orion and all the stars up there. After it cleared off, there'd still be wind blowing and snow, especially in the forest. Even though it's night and the moon's up, I, Ossie, would sit there with me, and these beautiful moments of peace and tranquility in, in the forest, with the moon shining on the snow and the wind blowing. And, you know, she had real thick fur, and you know, a lot of those beautiful moments, just wonderful. Um, when it came time for Aussie to die, it was really rough for me. I didn't, I didn't want her to die. You know, you talk about in the Bardo Total and all these things, friends you know. And letting go of Ossie was one of the hardest things I ever did. And she, as long as I held on to her, she wouldn't die. And she was going through an incredible amount of pain then. I didn't have money, I really regret that. I didn't have money to give her the painkiller she needed. Uh, it was hard to see her suffer like that and I just wanted her to die. But you know, deep down, I didn't want to let go of her because this is my closest friend <laughs> and she knew it. And she kept holding on and holding on and I knew I knew i had to tell her and this is the you know the worst night because i she just was so sick and she just lay in her little bed i'd made by by my height by the hide of bed and just tremble and she just you know would hold on and finally i just got up in the middle of the night and said "Ossie, um i had to tell her i said you know hey aussie it's okay to die i mean she understood what I was saying, because I looked at her. We were looking at each other in the eyes and she, when she could open her eyes. And it was really hard for me to say, um, you need to go, Aussie. And I've had this uh, situation with friends, too, that I'm um, close to. My sister, uh, she was on life support, and I had to tell her goodbye. And I wouldn't let go of her, and she didn't... She was conscious enough that she didn't have the life support shut off until I left because I refused to, to have them turn off the life support. So, I guess for selfish reasons. So my little sister had them do it fully conscious as much as she could be after I left. So with Aussie, and I've had a you know, close friend uh, I was with in the war. Um, I don't want to go into that. We get really selfish sometimes when we love somebody a lot and we don't want to let go of them. So I had to tell Aussie, I had to tell her, my dear, I had to tell her thank you for, for being my, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, Murky, don't go to song. I song. I gotta stick with this. Okay. I had to tell her, Um. All my immense gratitude for her. I, I, I wish they had a, 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 a Bardot total for animals. <laughs> but here's the thing, animals know what to do. She knew what to do. She was holding on for me, not for her. I think she wanted to leave. She wanted to, she was ready to leave this life, to leave her, her body and to move on, but I wasn't. So she kept holding on and holding on. So finally I just, please Aussie, you know, it's okay to go, I'll be all right. She'd known I'd been through all these things at the hospital and I'd been at the guidance center and I and attempted suicide and all kinds of crazy things happened in that time period. Um, it's a really bad, dark time period in my life. There's always Aussie. She knew, she knew she'd seen me through a lot of that, a lot of that crisis. So she's, she's dying and I'm, and I'm just so tired. I've been up all night, you know, trying to look over and I just drifted off to sleep in my in my bed, you know, it was uh, early in the spring. And I had this amazing dream. It wasn't a dream. You know, indigenous people, natives know what this means. When you go into the other world, it's not a dream. It's not some fictional narrative in a storybook. You really go there. So I went to sleep, or closed my eyes, and I was in this, this place. And here's, here's the thing I, I say often when you go into these other realms, these other realities, like in Book of the Dead and, and the Bardo Total that takes you through these 49 days that you're in Bardo, and the Pictorial Manuscripts in Mexico, when you're in these other realms, you know, I've, I've, I purposely left Christian things out because I think most of you already know that process. I mean, it's the dominant religion here in the United States. I think you know what goes on there. And I, maybe I should have included that, but I'm including things outside of that format. And you can, I'm not dismissing them. I think they're highly important as well. I'm standing uh, in my front yard, but it's not my front yard. The grass and all the pine trees are not cut down. I'm in the forest. And it, it, there's so much light. The light is so intense I can barely look at. It. You know they talk about this beautiful light. Well, in this experience, the light was so in, an, an intensity I would never experienced. Everything was so the great luminosity. That's what it was. Everything was on fire with with the, with the beautiful light and there's the forest and my house and i look out and i can see this huge meadow of just the most beautiful grass i've ever seen and the light's so intense because it's alive everything's alive and like the clouds are passing over i mean the color's all there but the light's so intense i can't i can't look at it totally but i can feel the most beautiful it's i mean it's for lack of a word, it's heaven. It's the land of it's the land of rage in, in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. It's it's the uh, it's the great light. I, I'm there, and I look at. I'm just I'm I'm in awe at how beautiful everything is. If I never didn't see anything else alive, the plants, the trees, the sky was enough to say, Hey, I I, I would pretty much like to stay here. <laughs> I, I don't want to go back. This is so beautiful. And I look, <clears throat> and there's Aussie. She had a a, a, a bobtail, you know, like like a lot of herding dogs do. Gunner, Gunner was born without one. His breed, the actual Stumpy Tail breed from Australia, d- don't, they're born without tails. Aussie was not. She had hers cut off. As I'm looking, Aussie has her tail, and I've never seen a dog this beautiful It's, it's indescribably beautiful. Not just to see, but to feel. And her eyes looking at me were so intense, so conscious, so, so luminous. And she's running with another dog. You know, she couldn't run towards the end of her life and that was, her. she loved to run. She's a herding animal. Like Gunner, she could, probably in her youth, she could run miles. She's born to run. And she's running with another beautiful dog. It's just amazingly as beautiful as she is. And I think it's another kind of Border Collie, but I'm not sure, maybe a, a, a red dog, I don't know. <laughs> because everything's so, the luminosity of everything is so extreme. So she's running above the ground. And, and, and not only that, she, you can see through her. I can see through everything, I mean, it's, it's multidimensional. This is before I started doing ayahuasca, things like that, where you do experience this a lot. It's, it's, it's multi-dimensional. So yeah, it's a forest. Yeah, it's a meadow. Yeah, there's the sun, and the clouds, but everything has a translucence to it. And so it, the clouds and the sky and the grass, I could see them through Aussie's body. And, and she comes over to me. You know, you don't, you don't have to have words because the communication between us was so intense that I knew exactly, it was like she was talking to me. It didn't need to be. It was a complete, thoroughly understood communication. And she looked up at me and she's like, Dave, um, I gotta go. I uh, I have another place to go. I'm happy. I'm not suffering anymore. And sometime you're gonna come to this place too. And when that day comes, I'll be there. Um, Dave, I'm uh, sorry.
0: <laughs> I can go to a song no, now. No, don't go to a song. Okay.
2: Um, I'll be there to take to help you out, Dave. And I've had this other experience with my girlfriend Tiba that just died three months ago. A similar experience, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about it, it's just too sacred, but it's similar to Ossie's experience. And, and uh, so it was a farewell to my friend, letting go as we do in the Bardo Total, as you do in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. As you do, saying goodbye, realizing I gotta go back and just being awed by the immense beauty of not only Aussie's consciousness or body, or, but this incredible world that I'm in. I mean, this the other world. You almost want to stay there. You want to come back to the other one, well. I've left a lot out of this descriptions because more went on, but I open my eyes up and the sun's just coming up out the window. And my first thought is, is Aussie okay? And I reached down, you know, to to stroke her ears with my hands. She had this beautiful soft fur. And uh, I'm like, oh, it's okay. She didn't die. And uh, she's still warm. And I try to, and I realize that she's dead. She just. She just died, still warm, as, and this is pretty powerful, as the sun's coming up. This beautiful, you know, an in in indigenous thought, the sun's living. The sun is a consciousness, it has a soul, it has a body, in, in Egyptian religion. The sun is a living being, so the sun's coming up, you know, it's a new day. And the night, the night is passed on, the, you know, the, 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 the duwat, the underworld. Well, that's where she's at. And I just, I have that, and I just put my hand on her. And, um, and you know, it's that farewell to my friend. This dream, this, this, this vision, this, this experience I had in the other world is so intense. And I, I have I apologize, I've left that out of my three experiences I always say I had with, with dying. Well, this is my experience with actually going, seeing the other side, and I'm telling you, I know that's real. <laughs> that place, and I've been there since then in the ayahuasca world and ceremonies. Other experiences, I've been to that place. I know it's real. But like I said, and we live in this Newtonian scientific world that's based on the physical, that's based on um, uh, that's based on materialism, strict materialism. I understand why you, you, you don't believe there's a life after death.
3: This morning. Don't want to put you to no trouble, friend, but it seemed like I lost my way. Well, that's what everybody says at first. Now, uh, what's your name, friend? Uh, uh Simpson, Hyder Simpson. Up belong that bunch of Simpsons lives over on Wales Mountain. Uh, rip me oh. here, we never have traveled this far before. Never have traveled so far we couldn't see the top of Wales Mountain. How old are you, neighbor Simpson? Well, sir, I've been walking the earth for something like 70 years now. Arrived at the gate uh, 1045. I know it's none of my business, but would you tell me what you're writing down in that book? I just need to know one more thing, neighbor Simpson. How'd you die? I was born with a cheap set of ears. I'm not sure I heard you right. I said, how did you die? Who claims I'm dead? Ain't no argument about that. You wouldn't be here if you wasn't dead. Man, that's solid flesh and bone there. You feel that? Think back, neighbor. What did you do last night? Well, sir, I'll tell you exactly what i done. Me and Rip, we left the house long about supper time. And Rip, uh, he picked up a coon trail right away. And like a coon will, it headed for the water. And Rip didn't do nothing but go right in after him. Well, about that time I got there. And we was running out on this log and I... Uh... Hey, friend, what's on the other side of that gate there?
4: Well, that pasture right up there they call the Elysian Field. You cross that and you come to the Golden Street. That takes you right to the Celestial Palace, where the old master has his headquarters.
3: Then I take your name to be St. Peter. I keep the gate, that's a fact. Well, uh, I'm mighty proud to meet up with you. Just as proud to have you here, neighbor Simpson. I always thought there was a lot of singing and dancing in heaven. How come I don't hear no music? Because you're on the outside. The minute you step inside that gate, you'll hear your favorite hymn. Well, I don't care much for hymn singing. I favorite guitar music myself. Well, don't stand out here in the cold, cold world. Come on in and reap your heavenly reward. Uh, Come on, Rip.
4: Oh, hold on, neighbor Simpson. You can't take that dog in there. there. Ain't no fleas on that dog. That don't make no never mind. He can't come in. How come? This here is Falk's heaven. There's another place we can put him, though, right up the road. Now, you just tie him to the fence there, and
3: I'll walk him up for you a little later on. Come on, Rip. Now, hold on,
4: neighbor Simpson. Where
3: do you think you're going? Well, I thank you very much, but I don't reckon in there is any place for me. Well, why not? Well, any place that's too high for Luton for Rip is too fancy for me. How thoroughbred does a dog have to be before you let him in there anyway? Well, ain't no dogs allowed in there at all. What kind of outfits you're running don't allow no dogs? I tell you, they got a special place for dogs right up the road. Well, me and Rip will go on down there then. Well, you won't get in. Dog maybe, but not you. Well, what kind of heaven would it be with nothing in it but dogs? A dog's got a right to have a man around, just the same as that man's got a right to have a dog around. If he wants to be anyways happy. Neighbor, let me make you a
4: little proposition. Why don't you go on in the gate, and a little later
3: on, I'll slip the dog through the fence to you.
4: It's breaking the rules,
3: but I'll do it. Friend, Peter, if I go in that front gate, Rip's going in that front gate likewise. I don't want him to get the feeling that he ain't welcome. Well, I got another idea. What what are you doing here, mister?
4: Well, I just thought I'd hold on to your dog and let you go on in, take a look around, see how you like it.
3: I don't have to go inside to make up my mind. Let me ask you a practical question. What kind of coon hunting would I have in there without Rip? Man, they don't allow no coon hunting. Oh, you don't say. Now,
4: neighbor Simpson, where do you think you're going? I'm going.
3: Me and Rip's going somewhere.
4: Well, there ain't no place else to go. Well, we'll go wherever that road takes us. Oh, that road don't lead nowhere. This is Eternity Road. It just keeps on, never stops, leads nowhere.
3: Me and Rip will do
4: all right. Neighbor, this is a right serious step you're taking i'd say the best thing for you to do is to sit out there and think it over you've got all eternity to make up your
3: mind good day to you sir if you change your mind just let me know much obliged i'll do that It is a powerful, long spell to go without a coon hunt in it, Don't you go off your feet or nothing over this thing. Wouldn't surprise me not if I don't sneak in there and talk to the judge or somebody. Might be able to get you in. Wonder what kind of a tea party they keep in there anyways. Must be city folks, mostly. They'd be the ones most likely to outlaw coon hunting. Let them sit in there tootin' on their harps or whatever they do for relaxation. Me and you stays together. Just like we was when we was traveling down below. At hmm. least we ain't the only ones wandering around by ourselves on the Eternity Road.
5: Howdy, son. Howdy. Ah, I'm looking for a Mr. Hyder Simpson and a hound dog named Rip. Well, that's us. I figured it was. Well, if you and Rip's all set, we might as well mosey along. M- mosey along where? In heaven, Mr. Simpson. Well, now, like I told that other fella back up the road there, ain't gonna set foot in heaven without Rip. You didn't get messed up with nobody in there, did you?
3: Well, that feller at the gate wouldn't let Rip in, so I didn't go.
5: Son... That'd be a hell of a place without Rip. Mr. Simpson, you ain't far wrong. That is hell. Heaven's up yonder a piece. Well, I'll be jiggered. Now, how come that feller'd want to lie to me? Well, they don't never give up. They're Always trying to get folks in there right down to the last minute. Well, what reason would they have for wanting to keep Rip out? Well, they, they was a feared Rip would have warned you. And he would have. Time he got a whiff of that brimstone. You see, Mr. Simpson, a man, well, he'll walk right into hell with both eyes open. But even the devil can't fool a dog. (laughs) You wouldn't be St. Peter, would you? No, no, I'm just a regular angel here. Where's your wings, son? (laughs) Shucks, I don't use them half the time. I appreciate walking myself. You uh, about ready to go, Mr. Simpson? Uh, rip. How's the coon hunting up here, boy? Just fine, Mr. Simpson. There's one tonight, right after the square dance. Want to come along? Wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> Welcome to heaven, Mr. Simpson. Thank you, son.
3: Right proud to be here.
2: Well, that uh, brings us to the end of uh, part two here. Murky and I have decided to do a part three of our three-hour broadcast we had, oh, let's see, about four days ago now. We did live on the shortwave. And uh, we're going to divide it up into three segments. We had the first part up. This is the second part. And uh, then we'll have the third part. And, of course, um, this is all about having your animals and your plants in heaven. Well, you know gotta have the landscape gotta have the other other parts of life up there too and i always say i'm not going to heaven unless i can go with my dog (laughs) dogs plural there's not much of a heaven if it doesn't have all the beautiful trees and clouds and especially if it doesn't have my my beloved dogs who in a lot of ways are my closest friends so All right, tune in to part three, and that will be the end of our uh, series on death, dying, and... What's the title, Murky?
0: Death, (laughs) dying, and beautiful release.
2: Okay. All right, Murky, you have a dog?
0: Dave, you know I do.
2: Oh, yeah, you got old Elroy, don't you? The big red healer. Yeah, and the old Cadillac. He's quite the dog. Gunner likes that boy. Yeah, yeah, they get along well. All right. Well, you guys have a, a good night or a good day as it is, depending on what side of the planet you're on. And uh, we're waving at you even though you can't see us. And thank you for listening to In Between Stations. We'll see you on part three. In another two or three days, we'll put that up on our, on our various sites. Okay, see you. This is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kilohertz in the 80-meter band signing off the air.
6: Be in my-
1: Radio on 3731 kilohertz in the 80 meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America. This is in between stations radio on 3731 kilohertz in the 80 meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America.